Well, that was sweet, wasn't it? Wasn't it? God, Wednesday nights, you guys. It's, it's funny, in some ways you're more responsive. It just takes you a while to just get going. You glad to be here tonight? Amen. Well, you're here either way if you're glad or not, so you might as well be glad because you're here. So, um, well, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4 tonight. Uh, we're going to be reading quite a few uh, verses and walking through that as we continue to talk about what a life of worship is. So this is our fifth week in life of worship. We'll actually conclude life of worship tonight and next week, Lord willing, go into uh, life in community and talking about what that means. Uh, if you don't have one of these, I would encourage you to get up and get one. Don't be embarrassed, but they're right in the back. All of the doors have those. Uh, get one of those. Uh, matter of fact, Sky's going back to get one, so if you need one, he'll just bring you one. Raise your hand and Sky will bring you one. Anybody? Um, right here. We need some right here. Right here. Good job, Sky. Great job. I knew you were volunteering when you stood up. So um, here's where we are so far. We've been working out this definition that we have on here that worship is responding with all, of we, with all that we are, mind, will, and emotions to the revelation of God. So this is where we've been. Worship is responding mind, will, and emotions to the will of God with all that we are. And after all that we are, we say mind, will, and emotions because we believe that is the totality of who we are. It's responding uh, with all of that to the revelation of God. So where we've been so far is uh, just kind of breaking down every one of those words. We began with talking about responding to revelation. So worship is this daily, moment-by-moment rhythm of a real, acting, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ in which you are hearing from him and receiving from him. It is not stale. It is dynamic. It is active. It is moving. It is changing. He is speaking, and we are responding. So the goal would be, and, you know, maybe we're at, you know, if, if you take a day as, as 100%, Maybe we're at like 8% of doing this in the day. You know, maybe some of you are really spiritual and you're like at 12%. 100% was all day you're just receiving and listening and responding, which is what Jesus did 100% of the time. Lived in perfect communion to the Father and just responded moment by moment to what the Father said. That's the goal. And so we always think of Christ's likeness as being, well, Jesus did this and did this and did this, so we got to do this and do this and do this. You know that's secondary. So if we focus on we got to do what Jesus did, but we don't live the life of worship that Jesus lived, we're not going to do the stuff Jesus did. So this is the whole paradigm of Acts 1 and 2. If you want to experience everything that Jesus does, you must first be filled with the spirit that Jesus was filled with. So Jesus had this just ongoing, unbroken intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. The outflow of that was all of the works that Jesus did. So I actually believe that every work that Jesus did, he did on earth as a human being filled up to the fullness of the Spirit of God. Which means if we were filled up to the degree that Jesus was filled up, we also could do those things. And so uh, we kind of seek to live in that fullness, constantly filled with the Spirit of God. So responding to Revelation, and then we talked about responding to the Revelation of God. We took a whole week on that idea of God because you will never live this dynamic relationship unless you see God as a person. He is not an idea to be studied. Uh, he is not just a problem to be solved. God is a person, real living person who is to be known, sought, pursued, loved, and so we are going after God. We want to know him and be intimate with him. And we talked about what that means to go from master-slave to father-son to friendship to ultimate intimacy with the Lord. 
And then we talked about what it means to love God with our minds. So we didn't spend a whole week on will because every week we talked about worship is the surrender of our will. You can't have any moments of responding to revelation unless you're surrendered to him. So the will encompasses all of that. But last week we just wanted to understand that if we want to worship God to a greater degree, then we've got to get to know God at a greater depth. So uh, our knowledge is not hindering us from worship. No, it, it's the foundation of our worship. We gotta, we gotta know more of God. And so I pleaded with you to spend more time in God's word and I gave you some, some books, not that they ever take the place of knowing God, but my goodness, sometimes someone can just, that walks with Jesus can say something in a book that stirs us up to know him even more. And so I'm pleading with you to think more deeply about God. So that leads us to the last part, the only word we have not yet talked about, and that is loving God with our emotions. Uh, we could say emotions, maybe affections would be a better word, and I'm saying that because I'm gonna use that word affections most of the time. Emotions, I think, would seem to us be a little bit more fleeting and maybe a little bit more surface, while that word affections seems, in, in most of our minds, to, to, to be a little bit deeper, something a little bit more fuller. But the point is the same. Our definition of worship all it is, is another way to say this. You gotta love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. That's all it is. That's all it is. So all we're saying is your worship, your upward relationship with God is about falling in love with God himself, and as a result, giving him all that you are, which includes your heart. Not just your mind, and not just your will. There's a lot of really smart people who know a lot about the Bible and there's a lot of people that are really disciplined and they surrender their will to the Lord, but there's no heart. And that was the entire issue, not entire, most of the issue with Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. They, they had no heart. He said, you, you worship me with your lips, you do the right actions, but your heart is far from me, which means nothing you do matters because it's not a matter of the heart. So that's what we're talking about, a type of worship and seeking of God and knowledge of God that affects our heart. And so I actually do believe, as we talk about here, that part of our worship involves an emotional, a heartfelt response to revelation. It's not just, here's what God says, and then I'll do it. I believe that worship is a matter of the heart. This is really the essence of worship that is the combination of God's word and God's spirit, which is really putting a fire uh, into our heart, new passions and desires for God. And that is what it means to have authentic worship, this deeply rooted passion for God. And I think the best example of that is in John 4. Uh, and so I'm gonna read this whole story starting in verse seven. John 4, verse seven, follow along with me. It says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? I want you to just notice one thing right here because we're gonna see it in a minute. She is constantly focused on what, and he keeps bringing her back to who. Well, I want this water. Well, if you knew who you were talking to. Says, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, and he drank from it himself, 
as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. She's focused on the location. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father, this is such a powerful line, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And that, my friends, is a good story. So uh, constantly there's this back and forth. And even in that latter part, she's focusing on the what and she's focusing on the where. So she's debating with Jesus. Well, they said you should worship here and you all worship here and we worship here. And Jesus constantly brings her back to the who. So Jesus wants her to understand that everything uh, regarding worship is answered in the question, not where and not what and not when, If you want to understand worship, you have to understand who. Jesus is saying that the worship is revolving around me. And so Jesus saying, if you want to know true worship, you have to come to me. And the key phrase is, we worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Verse 24, God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So I want to just make a couple of simple points and then bring that together in a way that hopefully makes sense. Uh, So the first thing that's obviously clear from that is true worship, authentic worship, is rooted in truth. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we did that last week, but worship demands revelation. So the foundation of all worship is the knowledge of God. Remember, he said to her, you worship what you do not know. She worshiped, it just wasn't real authentic worship, uh, right worship, because she didn't know God. If you don't know Jesus, you can't worship. Uh, you can't worship him. You can be consumed with something and have it consume your heart, your mind, will, and emotions, but you're not worshiping God if you don't know Jesus. This is why uh, it's such a conviction of mine in every sermon and in every song we sing and in every gathering and in every prayer. I've said this over and over. We just talk about Jesus, bring everything back to Jesus, 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 because we gotta keep bringing, all of us have a tendency to go to, well, tell me the where of worship. And tell me the how of worship. And tell me the what of worship. We always want that. And what I want to come to us and say, let's, let's just focus on the who of worship. Let's get every song. Let's get every sermon. Let's get every class. Let's get every prayer. Let's get every meeting just to Jesus, right? Let's just go all the way, all the time. Let's bring everybody's attention to Jesus. And this is what Jesus is doing. And it is rooted and grounded in Jesus who is the truth. 
So uh, true, authentic worship is grounded in the truth. True worship also demands the spirit. Now this is, we haven't talked about this really yet. It says you have to worship in spirit and truth. Now if you read every commentator, I would say almost every, on this text, the one big debate issue is when we talk about the spirit of John 4, is it his spirit or our spirit? Does that make sense? Like when you say worship in spirit, does that mean the Holy Spirit or does that mean we must worship with our spirit? Because spirit there is not capitalized, but then it says God is spirit, but you must worship in spirit, not in the spirit. And so what is it? And I think the answer is yes. I think it's both of those things. And here's the reason I believe that. It's because so much in the book of John, every, this is like this in every book, but John really specifically because of so much images he uses. Every time you see an image in John, you have to see the other places he uses that image because he does this a lot. And one of the primary images we have is that of living water and flowing from us. And in John chapter seven, Jesus on the last day of the feast stands up and it says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink and out of him will flow rivers of living water. Exactly what he said in John four. And he says this, and this he said about the spirit. So I believe it would be impossible to look at what John says in John four, what Jesus says in John four and not make the connection to there's no worship without the spirit of God. You have to have the spirit of God. But I believe it's not just talking about the spirit of God. I think it's talking about our spirit, that we must worship with our spirit, not just our minds, not our will, but our hearts. And the way these two things connect is this, is that when we come to know Jesus Christ, God's spirit ignites our spirit with desires and passions for God. So just our spirit is not sufficient. And his spirit not moving in our spirit is also not sufficient, that there has to be the meeting of these two things. And the moment we come to Christ, what happens is the spirit of God invades our spirit and brings us to life. And you start to hunger and thirst and desire the things of God. And what I want you to know is this, that's not just the moment you come to Christ, that's all the time. When you're filled with the spirit, your spirit wants Jesus. This is why one of the ways you know you're filled with the Spirit is that you're singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And this is all in the context of being filled with the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is coming out of you. Why? Not just because it just naturally overflows. It's because you desire to be kind and you desire to be patient and you desire all of the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because God's Spirit has invaded your spirit. And then all of a sudden, all of this new stuff starts to happen. So when he says you must worship in spirit and in truth, he's talking about the supernatural connection of the spirit of God invading your spirit, which means this, and we're gonna talk about this in a minute, you really can't be worshiping if you're not filled with the spirit. That we must constantly seek to be filled with the spirit. And I think this understanding helps us to understand passages like Matthew 15, 8, when Jesus says, you worship me with your lips, but your heart, it's far from me. So it doesn't count. There's no heart, there's no spirit. So true worship demands this work of God's spirit in our spirit. It's something that comes from within. And so I would say the third kind of step there, which is there in your notes, this logical progression is this, is that true worship engages both the head and the heart. It engages the head and the heart. It's a heart full of knowledge, a head full of knowledge, and a heart full of passion. Um, sometimes people will ask me, what commentaries do you use? Like, like, what's your favorite commentator? And what I often say about this is, I don't usually buy a set of commentaries because if a guy's really good at one book, he might not be good at another book of the Bible. 
He spent his entire life studying Hebrews, and then he gets asked to write the whole New Testament. So I just find out, try to find out who's good at what. And I say that to say this. When it comes to real, authentic worship, the person that helps me the most in this is John Piper. And the reason he helps me the most is because he spent his life devouring Jonathan Edwards. So really, Jonathan Edwards helps me the most. It's just easier to read Piper talking about Edwards than to read Edwards. Um, But Edwards, writing his book on religious affections, trying to make a case for why it was okay to get excited about the things of the Lord during the Great Awakening, uh, really understood true head worship and heart worship. And so in that that place, uh, he really helps me. And here's an analogy he uses that's helped me. He says this. He says, truth, and I think this is in your notes, truth is the fuel of worship. So truth is what fuels worship. The, the spirit is the fire of worship. So you have a fire here, and the Holy Spirit is fire. We see that in Acts 2. So the Holy Spirit is fire. Uh, we see that in 1 Kings 18 as well. We see it a lot of places. And then we have this fuel, which is the truth about God. So fuel and fire. Then he says this. The furnace is your spirit. So, so you get the truth of God, and, and then you pour the spirit of God on top of that because the truth of God without the spirit of God is not gonna produce something in the heart. The truth of God and the spirit of God, the fuel and the fire in the furnace of your heart, your, your spirit is the place in which those two things come together and produce passion, and desire and longing for the things of the Lord. This is what God is looking for, this head full of knowledge and spirit filled with with passion. Now, uh, there was a book I read uh, early in my seminary that really, really helped me uh, on the preaching of the Puritans. And the book was called Light and Heat. As a matter of fact, I found out about a year ago this book was going out of print, so I brought like, bought like 15 copies so I would have them to give to preachers. But his point is, is that the unique thing about Puritan preachers was their combination of light, meaning the truth of the word of God, and heat, the passion that comes out of the preacher's heart. His point was good preaching And not just good because you like it, but good because it does something, it accomplishes something. Is not just the communication of the truth, the ethos, what we would call this stuff in our minds, but it also includes the pathos, that is the the passion, the fire, the fervency of the spirit. You know intuitively this is true, right? You can have incredible truth with no passion and it doesn't move you. You can also have a lot of passion with no truth and that also doesn't move you. And we could talk about different denominations seem to be really good on passion and some really good on truth. And the combination is when you can have the truth shared with a heart filled with passion that that moves people. And it's pleasing to the Lord. Let me read you a quote from Jonathan Edwards on that. He says this, I should think myself in the way of my duty, meaning I should think that it's my responsibility, to raise the affections of my hearers as high as I possibly can. It's coming from Jonathan Edwards, maybe the greatest mind that this country has ever produced, literally saying to us that it is my job as a preacher to get people's affections, their excitement, their joy, as high as they possibly can, provided they are affected with nothing but the truth. 
So it's saying, I want to get people excited, deeply affectionate, but I want to make sure they get affected by the truth, not just my excitement. Affected with nothing but the truth and with the affections that are not disagreeable to the nature of what they are affected with. Meaning, uh, I, I can't have someone who has some affection that is not connected to the truth and doesn't also, um, I would say, honor the truth in that way. But I love the fact that Jonathan Edwards said, my job in preaching is not just to get you to know the truth, it's to get you to feel the truth, to feel the truth. I mean, we have all been in preaching moments in which we've heard a good truth and we've walked away and thought that was a good truth. We've all been in preaching moments which we've heard the truth and it did something in our soul. And what I pray every Sunday is that as the result of preaching, what would happen is this, you would just want Jesus more. I don't want you to just know Jesus more. I want you to want Jesus more. I want you to go away wanting to get up early tomorrow morning to read your Bible. Why? Not because Pastor Josh said you got to read your Bible, but because you want to. Why? Because you came to Wednesday Night Church and you like Jesus more than you did this morning. Like you're just happy about Jesus and you're excited about Jesus and, and you like him and you want him. And well, I want to raise your affections. And this is worship. It is this combination of the light and the heat that comes from the Spirit and invades our heart. And I think the Psalms are a great example of this. It is truth with emotional response. I don't know why God has us uh, in the Psalms right now. I was telling, I don't know who came in my office today, one of our staff members, and I was studying Psalm 44. It's just one of those you come to and you think, can I just go to Psalm 45? That's how I felt. I don't feel it now. Now I'm super excited about it. But I just got to it and I thought, man, this just, I don't know. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't feeling it. And uh, the more I got into it, the more I just began to get excited about it. And I'm excited and will be more excited by Sunday. But what's interesting is, is the, the, it's deep feelings. But they're not joy. They're not even delight. They're a little bit of frustration with God. Confusion is the word. That's what we're going to talk about Sunday. When your present experience is just confusing because it doesn't seem to match up with everything you know about God. But it's just, it's real. And it's, it is affection. And I see this in the Psalms. I see truths that then we respond to with awe and longing. I mean, some of our deep response is just awe of the glory of God. We just, we just stand amazed and we gaze into the beauty of the Lord. Some of our response is what we do, to pour out our heart to God. Longing, awe, uh, love, contrition, peace, fear, joy, Dancing, we, 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 I just was reading in the Psalms and just trying to think of all of the responses. And that one, unless you feel really good at it, don't do unless you're home alone. But uh, dance, all of these are just responses. I mean, why did David dance before the Lord? He wasn't like, it wasn't, you know, prophetic dancing with the stars. He didn't even know anybody was watching because he was, he was happy about the Lord. He's just happy. He's just happy about the Lord. And he didn't know his wife was watching, and she was, he's a terrible dancer, apparently. But he's just happy about the Lord. And the reason he said, listen, I've, I've got to do this because this is in my heart, and I don't mind looking ashamed in front of you because this is just what's in my heart. It's, it's that desire of, of, of affection. So I would say this, and this is the last point, and hopefully this will bring it together, that what we must do, and I think this is your last point there, is we must stoke the fire of deep affection for the Lord. We gotta, we gotta stoke the fire. So we've got the word, we've got the spirit, 
We've got our spirit. We got to work. This is where the Christian life takes effort, a lot of effort. You got to work out your salvation. Philippians 2, we work out what God works in. So God has begun a good work in us. We got to keep working it out. So we got to take the effort to get these things together. God's spirit, God's word, my spirit, and those things beginning to stoke the fire. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, well, we're not seeking emotion, we're seeking the truth of the Lord. I just think that's a dumb thing to say because it's a false dichotomy. Because here's the thing. Here's what I was thinking today. One of my motives, there's a lot, one of my motives for not sinning is because when I'm walking with Jesus, I'm happier. Right? And when I'm walking in sin, I'm miserable. So, so you know one of the things that drives me to walk with Jesus? I want to feel happy. And I don't want to feel sad. And I don't want to have to confess. And I don't want to be miserable. I want peace. So sometimes I seek the Lord. Why? Because I just want peace. I want contentment. So you realize we're being driven to the Lord by these affections. And that's a good thing. So in a sense, I am seeking emotion, I'm seeking joy, but listen, the reason this is so glorifying to the Lord is because what I'm saying is this, I want joy, and Lord, I think you're the only one that can give it to me, so I'm gonna go after you. So I'm really not going ultimately for joy, I'm going for God, but I just know that if I don't go for God, I'm not gonna get the joy. So we can't say we're not going for emotions, we're just going for God, we're going for emotions. All of us want to feel peace. All of us want to feel contentment and joy. So what I would say is this, if you want those things, don't go after those things because you'll do all kinds. Go after God with the hope that you'll get those things. I don't know who came up with this illustration. I've heard it a thousand times and so it wasn't me, but it's pertinent because Friday, Andrea reminded me last week, is my wedding anniversary. Thank you to Olin and Nancy Miller for watching Josiah on Friday so we can uh, go to breakfast. If I take Andrea out and she says, Josh, thanks for taking me out today, and I say to her, well, it's our anniversary and this is what I'm supposed to do. That's, that's how do I say this? That's not gonna like set the tone for a great rest of the anniversary. Can I just say that? Okay. So, but if she looks at me and says, Josh, thank you for taking me out, and I say, there's literally nothing I would rather do I love my children more than just life itself. Then be without my children and just you and sitting here at the table and I hope we can sit here for three hours and I hope we can, there's nothing I would rather be doing than this right here. That, my friends, sets the tone. And she's not here, nor will she listen to this and that's exactly what I'm gonna say Friday morning. So here's the deal. When we say to the Lord, Lord, I'm doing what you told me to do because you told me to do it and I'm gonna be an obedient servant. Well, fine, that's fine. But when you say to the Lord, Lord, I, I'm coming after you because I think you're the greatest thing in the world. And, and I think all of my joy and all of my happiness, all of my peace comes from you, so I'm going after you. Isn't that glorifying to the Lord? Isn't that pleasing to the Lord? Isn't that what the Lord wants? Hasn't he created us with these affections to draw us to him? What we just have to be careful of is to make sure that we're not trying to get those desires and emotions met by something other than the Lord. So just a couple of, of practical suggestions. I think one of the ways we do this is we fan this, this flame in our heart of passion for the Lord, and it really is a matter of making sure we're walking in the Spirit. 
Ephesians 5.18 tells us to be under the control of the Spirit, that the Spirit is what is controlling me. So that is a command. Uh, We don't necessarily pray, Lord, fill me with your Spirit, as much as we surrender to the Lord. If you pray, Lord, fill me with the Spirit, but you're not surrendered to the Lord, he's not going to fill you with the Spirit. So uh, you seek to be filled with the Spirit. I think about 1 Thessalonians 5.19, which says, do not quench the Spirit. Some versions say this. Do not put out the Spirit's flame. Doesn't that make perfect sense with what we talked about tonight? The fire is the Spirit. And when you're walking with the Spirit, that Spirit is in your Spirit, and it's, there's fire. But sin, apathy, ignoring God, it, it quenches the Spirit. It puts out the Spirit's flame. So what do we do? Well, we talked about that two weeks ago and we talked about confessing our sins. We confess that before the Lord. Lord, I haven't been surrendered to you in these moments. I confess that. I turn from that. And once again, I seek to be filled with your Spirit. And so we ask for the Lord to continue to continue that flame. So it even tells us in that First Thessalonians 5 that the Spirit is putting those passions and desires. We just have to be careful not to quench that Spirit. And I think the last thing I would say is this. It's just this important reminder that God created you to enjoy him. If not, heaven is gonna be terrible. I mean, it's not gonna be hell, which is good. But the reason you wanna go to heaven is not because you wanna get out of hell. It's because you like God, you enjoy him, and the greatest life you can imagine is uninterrupted, perfect fellowship with God where there is never any quenching of the Spirit of God and it is complete and absolute without any hindrance or interruption, all the fullness of that joy and peace and happiness that you ever felt for just a moment. God God created you to enjoy Him. So enjoy Him. Go after Him because you know that when you do, you enjoy Him. This is a reason to pursue the Lord. Lord, I'm coming after you. I'm getting up in the morning, not because I'm supposed to, not to check off my daily Bible reading, not just because my D group is gonna ask me if I did it, because I actually really believe if I do, I'm gonna enjoy you. And so we go after God for our enjoyment. That's such a, that's such a great way to live. So I'm gonna pray for us real quick that God would take these truths and plan them in our heart. And then there's a few questions come in, but there's a number if you wanna text questions. I have eight minutes. Father, I do ask that you would, by your spirit, which we know is the only way this can happen, take these truths and, and, and make them affect us. <laughs> that they would move us. We wanna be moved. We want this to be a church where people are moved, deeply moved, um, with deep longings and desires uh, for you. Father, may that be true. A head full of knowledge, a heart full of passion by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.